everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is Jonathan Strickland. <laughs> wow. Wow. Not even a nickname this time. <laughs> that's how frustrated Ariel is. Is as the thankful is the thankfully better and always amazing Jonathan Strickland. That's I, I was like I know we haven't done this for a while, but come on, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so let's get some stuff off the right off the top. First of all, we're 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 happy to be back. We were gone for mm-hmm. quite some time because Ariel had some travel, then I had work travel that kept me out for two consecutive Fridays. Then I got COVID, so it's been a month. Uh, since that month, uh, we've also had the WGA sign an agreement with the AMPTP. So WGA strike is over, but the SAG after strike continues. Uh, negoti- negotiations broke down this week, so the strike is still in effect. So we're still um, honoring the strike. And uh, pertinent to this episode yep. in particular is we're having some technical issues. Yeah, yeah. Um Riverside, why do you hate me? You know, it's because I said on Discord that we were going to record today. Uh, I jinxed it. Yeah. So Ariel's microphone that she usually uses, she's not able to use because for some reason, Riverside is convinced that some other application on her computer is making use of the microphone, even though she can't see anything that could possibly be doing that. So uh, in, in the, the respect of her time, we decided we'd record with uh, her, her onboard microphone in her laptop. So it's going to sound a little different, but uh, we figured we've been off the air long enough for us to go ahead and get an episode recorded. Yep. Uh, and Jonathan already covered one of the few things we had to talk about today. So <laughs> it's going to be well, a short I mean, one. <laughs> obviously, like, like the, the, we could say so much more. We have said yeah. a lot about yeah, the, yeah, no. the, I, the strike. So I was being silly. Uh, but yeah, uh, WGA got, I, th- I think they got a really good contract. Some of the things that are in the contract are actually up for review after like three years. So they'll be going back to the table a little earlier than normal. Um, SAG-AFTRA, the, the studios, once again, said SAG-AFTRA is not playing nice, so we're walking away again. Uh, everybody's still hoping that, you know, maybe by the first of the year. I, I, I will, obviously, hopefully sooner. But I'll, I'll also say SAG-AFTRA, like the negotiation team, they said, no, the problem was that the deal that was presented to them was actually worse than the deal that was at the very beginning of all this before negotiations broke down. So it's two yeah. different stories, but the, the folks and the negotiating team on SAG-AFTRA point out that the studios are also the ones that control the media. <laughs> and so they're like, don't yeah. believe yeah, that it's because we, you know, they were being so generous and we walked away. It was more like, like they refused yeah. to, to meet us on common ground. Because the studios are saying they're giving them the same, uh, like, deal on pay as they gave to the writers and the directors, and that what SAG-AFTRA is asking for is going to cost them $800 million a year. So, um, you know, again, also, what happens behind the closed doors and what we hear are not always coinciding. So that's true. That's true. It's it's hard hard to know whose version of the story. Uh, is the most accurate chances are the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I know everybody wants production to go back up. I, I, 
you know, I'm guessing that writers are back in writers' rooms or starting there so that once sag after is done with their strike, things can get rolling. Um, and then it'll be Merry Christmas uh, to all of us actors, hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone can, everyone can start recording uh, or start shooting films, which uh, while, you know, if, if filmmaking were something that happened super fast, you could be doing Christmas, but because filmmaking isn't, we're probably talking like Halloween movies at this point. Maybe, maybe we'll see. Um, you know, but again, this is all good. Uh, and we won't continue to bore you all with the news because that's about it for that. Um, what else do we want to talk about on discord? Uh, one of our, our awesome listeners said we should talk about our favorite acronyms because somebody likes to use FYI too much. I don't know. Um, my favorite acronym is, I don't know if they were actually serious. Uh, my favorite acronym is, um, they used to have a pin and it was like, it was like Idiwigma or something like that. If you ask me, I'll give you a hug or something. No, I really loved it. Uh, I mean, like I, I, I am notoriously grouchy about acronyms and initialisms. Uh, I particularly hate backronyms, which is when you come up with your acronym first and then have to invent what it stands for. I hate that. <laughs> uh, that being said, ones that I don't mind, um, WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. Uh, that that's a very popular one for like, it's mostly for publication software. Like it means that whatever you Mm -hmm. see on the screen is how it's supposed to look when it prints out, which was not always the case. Y'all, if you've been in desktop publishing for a hot minute, like if you were active way back in the eighties, you know that you could have a great layout on your screen. And then when you print it, it all looks terrible. So WYSIWYG was a big step in the right direction for that. The other one, and this is because I deal with technology all the time is RTFM. Now, Ariel, can you guess what RTFM stands for? Really tight and functional modems. I like that. I love that idea. <laughs> Man, this modem is really tight. It's so functional. No, it, it stands for read the freaking manual. <laughs> manual yeah but but usually we don't use the word freaking (laughs) yeah there's stuff like there's acronyms and all of a sudden i can't remember i use it all the time that's like you know this is just my opinion basically um oh imo IMO. it's not i use a different one but i can't remember it like i have to use it in the moment honestly i i use less less acronyms and i use more like short words which annoys my husband to no end you know, stuff like hungry. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, God. Uh, Froyo. Uh, I, I will, I will, you- I will put a bunch of words together and make a shorter word. And he's like, that is the dumbest thing. Please stop. <laughs> My husband, who loves me very much. You don't reference pizza as za, do you? No, no. I- okay. Then you're not, not like the McElroy's. Now, even though I love the Ninja Turtles, I do not reference pizza as Zaw. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. Good. So uh, you might have, uh, uh, OS Killer, you might have been uh, joking on Discord, but there you go. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't in the geek circles. I don't tend to use them. So here's the other thing: is that like I have not been active in actual geek communities for quite some time. 
So like when I was active, like back when I was active, say in, in the Buffy, the vampire slayer fandom, uh, even then I would find the various like initialisms and acronyms to be really confusing because I was a big fan, but I was casual in the fandom. So I wasn't, I wasn't so deep in the fandom that all the slang and shorthand and all that had taken root in my mind. And so I would often just be totally perplexed as to what people were talking about, even though I was a fan of the same thing that they were a fan of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's true. I, that's where I am in fandom. Sorry. I'm still utterly frustrated by my microphone. Uh, BS. It's That's it's 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 dead, Ariel. You just gotta let it go. I can't. Uh, <laughs> I can't. It can diaf. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we will we will figure that one out and we'll get it fixed. But yes. yeah, if, for now, yes. we we can let that go. I think there was another. Wasn't there another request that we talk about maybe comic books? Yeah, yeah, and specifically like Miller, like Miller's work and how that changed comic books and stuff. So I'm going to oh, be real Frank honest. Miller. Yeah, yeah, Frank Miller. So I, I have read comic books. Um, I think the co- first comic book I read was Bone. Like actually sat down and read read. It was like a, a Bone omnibus. Um, and I read like little comics and like Disney Adventures and stuff. That'll show your age if you know what a Disney Adventure magazine is. Um, <clears throat> but uh. As far as like reading Marvel in DC, I have read comics, but it's been a lot later in my life. And it's been very like, oh, you'll like this one here, read it. And then I'll read an issue or a, you know, a collection of. So I am not the the most well versed on this. I do understand Frank Miller's importance in the in the comic book world. But Jonathan, you might have to take lead on this one. Well, I. I... I don't I don't know that I would put Frank Miller as being like a pivotal figure in comics and how comics have changed. I mean, he certainly is important. He 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 wrote an an incredibly important and influential run of Daredevil, uh, clearly like very important for uh, the the Batman mythos. Uh, he did the 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 Dark Knight graphic novel where it's like the the. Uh, return of Batman when Bruce Wayne is in his sixties. And uh, he also did like Batman year one, which came after he had written <laughs> the dark Knight one, which is or dark, dark Knight returns, I think is what it was called. Um, but it was funny because he worked in some of the same kind of lines that he had in the dark Knight returns. He worked into Batman year one retroactively so it so it then becomes like foreshadowing if you go by the chronology of batman even though he wrote the that part second um very important elements of certain characters but i would argue there are other comic book uh writers and and illustrators who played at least as important a part like i mean alan moore alan moore yeah 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 alan moore is like i would think he's at least as important as Frank Miller, arguably more so depending upon your, your so, perspective. I, I'm not looking at discord right now since I'm having um, microphone issues. They could have said Alan Moore. So let's talk about that too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So Alan Moore, I mean, he's, he's the guy behind the Watchmen, 
which was obviously a, a big commentary on superhero comics in general. Uh, and V for Vendetta. He, v for Vendetta. Yeah. Which I cannot stand. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> he, he also, he also wrote one of what's considered one of the foundational Joker stories in Batman, the killing joke. Um, he, he did that one. Which surprisingly, uh, so DC movies made a, an animated The Killing Joke movie. Uh, and it was so upsetting and bad that my husband turned it off and he watches all of their dumb, good and dumb uh, animated movies. So that's that's something right there. Well, and The Killing Joke, the, the thing that The Killing Joke did was it explored the backstory of the Joker. Although you do have to remember the Joker himself is an unreliable narrator. So you can't be entirely certain that the story you're getting is reflective of what happened, but it's, it's what establishes the idea of the Joker being a failed comedian who loses his wife and child. And that drives him to madness and ultimately is what contributes to him becoming the Joker and uh, and draws a lot of parallels between the Joker and Batman and saying like there's very actually very thin line between the two. Uh, and it was interesting, but it does have some massive issues in it. The biggest being uh, the treatment of Barbara Gordon in the story, uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon's daughter and uh, Batgirl slash Oracle. It's this story where she is uh, paralyzed due to an attack from the Joker. And it's. Uh, a particularly exploitative kind of depiction in the in the graphic novel, and that has continued to be a point of criticism. So it's interesting because like like the death of the or the killing joke rather uh, is one of the few graphic novels that I owned. So when we were talking about having a conversation about comics, like it just so happens that that's one of the ones um, I. I I collected a few comics, not a ton, uh, certainly not as many as, as people like Ariel and I know a guy named Bill who has a, like a, a room full of boxes of comics that are arranged chronologically and everything. And it's crazy how huge his collection is. I had nothing like that, but I did have a few pivotal stories in various runs. Like, uh, I had the, the death of Superman, run uh from oh gosh when did that come out 92 yeah it came out around 92 and i had the death of superman run which was a pretty big deal because you know dc killed off superman of course not forever <laughs> he did come back because everyone in comics does um including jason todd who the joker killed also the same year that the killing joke came out uh <laughs> but uh yeah i i had those yeah. those were like the big storylines and I had those, but that that was the exception. I didn't collect them religiously. Yeah. I, we still get new comic books in this house. We've got a wall that's just got a bunch of, of bookshelves of comic books on it. Um, and of course we give some away and never get them back. Uh, one of the ones that I did like, although I don't know if it holds up so much, but it was one that Neil Gaiman was uh, involved with. It was Marvel 1602. Are you familiar with that one? Is that the one where it reimagines characters as uh, 17th century figures? So like, yeah, basically superheroes show up 400 years early. Yeah. So like, yeah, Captain America is like a Na native American and stuff like that. 
But I think that's part of the problem is because he might be white. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. Um, I'm looking it up. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a really interesting, fun reimagining. Um, like I said, I don't know if it would hold up, but um, it is really fun. Yeah, I uh, for some reason I mix that up with because DC did something similar uh, where they they had some comics where there was one where I want to say Superman is represented uh, in the Revolutionary War between America and, and the UK. Uh, but I don't remember what that one was called. I, it was one that I didn't collect, but it was one where I thought, Oh, that's kind of a neat idea. And that's as far as it went. Uh, I do have a list of, I made up a list of yeah. comics that I did own or collect. If you're, if you're curious to hear some of them. I am, but real quick, you were right. He was, he was native American, but he was blonde haired and blue eyed. And his name was Ro, Ro uh, Rojas, Ro, Rojas. R-O-J-H-A-Z. So uh, interesting take on. Oh, it's Rogers. Roger. Because Steve Rogers. Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Cute. Uh, but, but it was fun. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so yes, give me your list. So uh, one series that I collected the entire run uh, of the initial run anyway, was Elf Quest by Wendy and Richard Penny. Uh, that originally launched back in 1978, which tells you that I'm old. Um, but I, I had the full original run of those comics, which uh, at the time, the first issue was published, I forget under what label, but it was like an underground comics label. And then all the rest in that run were published under Warp uh, Comics or Warp Graphics. And I had all of those. Uh, they would eventually republish that run under Marvel and then again later republish it again under DC. So it had runs under multiple publishers, but uh, I had the original selection of those. Um, I had most of the early issues of Howard the Duck uh, and I collected a, a comic book called What The, which was a a joke comic book. It was uh, published by Marvel or Marble comics, according to what the, and it was just filled with satire about comic books and parodies of comic books. Uh, spider ham, the spectacular spider ham came out of what the, um, grew the wanderer. I had, I had tons of grew comic books by Sergio Araganes, who also was an artist for mad magazine. And then, you know, I talked about, uh, the death of Superman and the killing joke and a death in the family. I had all of those bone, which you mentioned. I had that one as well. And I had the mini series, the eight issue mini series of myth adventures by Phil Folio based off the uh, first novel in the myth adventure series by Robert Asprin. So those are the ones I can recall as owning when I was a kid and I didn't collect, I haven't been collecting comics in my adult life at all. So <laughs> that's the extent yeah. of it. Um, a lot of the comics in our collection are kind of the darker ones, things like Watchmen. Um, I think we've got a lot of, a lot of fun, happy ones, like some really fun Spider-Man ones, um, trying to get the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle omnibuses. Um, we've got Buffy, uh, the Buffy comics, some of them, they kind of went off the rails. Um, yeah, they got real know, dark too. Yeah, but we have a lot of real dark stuff like The Walking Dead or Transmetropolitan or Watchmen 
or things like that. Um, I, you know, I think my husband even owns, yeah, he owns some preacher. Um, and that is just not my style of story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and albeit some of them are darker than others. I'd say that Transmetropolitan is not as dark as some of the other ones, although it is very satirical, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to like the lighter, funner stuff. I like a lot of Spider-Man because it's fun. I like a lot of like uh, crossover infinite universe type stuff. The 1602. I like Saga and Bone and uh, Umbrella Academy and things like that. Those are those those ones. Obviously, I've gotten into Umbrella Academy and and Saga more recently because they're <laughs> I say they're recent. They probably are not that recent. They're more recent to me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I love a lot of comic book stuff that I've never actually read the comic for, like Red. I love the movie Red, mm-hmm. um, which is about a bunch of retired, Reti- retired secret service or yeah. CIA or KGB and all this kind of stuff who are all retired, who kind of kind of uh, still are all badasses, even though they mm-hmm. they aren't active in service anymore. Yeah. So I should be like. Uh, there are so many times I'm like, oh, this is a comic book movie. I'll probably like it. And then I have full intentions of reading the comic and I only do about half the time. Um, I have read Scott Pilgrim and I did read the first two television series worth of the comic of Walking Dead, even though I knew that one was dark. Somehow easier to read than watch. <laughs> yeah, I um, when I was a teenager, I read probably the first dozen or maybe first 20 issues of Sandman, Neil Gaiman's Sandman comic, uh, but fell off since then. And I haven't watched the, the series yet. Um, mm. Justice League International and Justice League Europe were titles I would read when I was over at a friend's house. He had all those and I would just kind of flip through them and read them. And those were weird because it was a, an era of time where like these were both spinoffs of Justice League America, right? And um, Justice League International and Justice League Europe both had way more humor in them than Justice League America did. Uh, in fact, Justice League International at some points was essentially a comedy uh, uh, comic book. Uh, and I really those really appealed to me because I liked the tone a lot. I liked how playful and silly they were. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how hardcore comic book fans took it, but I thought they were really entertaining. Uh, and it was always hard for me to take comic books really seriously, which I know is a very kind of elitist snobby way to look at it. But you have to remember like when I was young, I went straight from reading child, like literally children's books, books for like while you're learning to read to go straight to fantasy novels that were meant for younger audiences, things like uh, the Hobbit and uh, the the Taran Wanderer series and thing and Myth Adventures and Xanth Piers Anthony's novels, which have so many problematic <laughs> elements to them. But mm-hmm. uh, but you know I went straight to reading those that like I did the comic books didn't appeal to me because I liked the rich language you would find in these fantasy novels. And I was a fantasy kid; I was not a science fiction kid, but I liked the the rich narratives of the fantasy novels where you would imagine all the things, whereas comic books, I felt like, well, you, you don't have to imagine anything. All the pictures are there and there's not the space to be as florid with your language. You could argue that that actually makes it 
far more difficult because you have less space to tell a story. So you need to be very economical with your words, but it didn't appeal to me the way fantasy novels did. So I, I think I'm in the same boat, like comics, even though I, like I said, I read them in in Disney adventures, but they're, they were definitely a, as I grew up sort of a thing uh, that I got into, even though I liked the stories um, again, because also I went from reading, you know, kids, kids books to reading books like the Hobbit or, you know, the Rolling Stones by Heinlein or um, time for the stars even, and, and other, other fantasy and sci-fi stuff. You know, I'd go into the library and look for Asimov stories, which let me tell you, it was a rude awakening when I learned that Heinlein and Asimov were not all for kids because they write some really good young adult stuff. Um, yeah, but Heinlein but, writes some really messed up stuff. Yeah, but I didn't know that. The two books that I read of his, the, like my intro to him, I was like, oh, those are lovely. They were both great stories. So what's what's funny is that uh, Ariel and I, Ariel and I have appeared in an, a radio adaptation of one of Heinlein's works that is truly messed up. And, uh, and, yeah. and I feel complicit. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, in fact, we performed it at his centennial. Um, <laughs> I think, I think you're right. W- weren't you there in Kansas Yeah. City? Was that the one that was like in, yeah, um, I was going to say in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Kansas City, Missouri is lovely. There's a train museum and lots of pretty fountains. Um, mm-hmm. that's what I remember of it other than us performing there. No, I do like comics. I just... Uh, nowadays like a lot of my comic um or at least for a while a lot of my comic introduction was i'd have friends come visit us because you know my house is a a, at least used to be before the pandemic a revolving door of friends uh and they would bring oh i found this really cool comic here's some issues of it and then you know we'd all sit down and read them throughout the week um so that's that's how i've stayed up to date with comics a lot my interest in comics really got kind of like reignited by the various comic book movies. I mean, I'm not going to name them because the strike's still on, but like various movies would come out and I'd think, huh, I wonder if this story ever played out in the comics. And if so, how is it different? And I would look into it, but not, not to the extent of actually going and buying comics. I did at one point, Amazon had a thing where they were not Amazon, but like there was like a comic book app. And it had this thing where there was like free comic book day. And I just ended up getting like 30 or 40 different comic books for free. I have not read through all of them, but I remember I did get a ton of black Panther comics and started reading those. And those were quite, quite entertaining. Nice. Also uh, moon Knight. I read some moon Knight comics and those were really good too. Yeah. I, I, I will say like, I'm more likely to sit down with a comic book now uh, I haven't read, I've been read. like, I've been trying to get through the talisman and the color of magic for the last seven years. Um, <laughs> just cause I do so much editing and I do so much script reading that a comic book is a lot easier for me to digest. I still love reading, but it's just finding the time to, when I sit down with a book, I need time to invest in it and sit and really get involved in the story. If I can only read a couple pages, it's not going to grip me. I'm not going to like reading two pages of a book is not rewarding to me and I'm not going to go back to it. So I just, I really need the time. A comic book is a lot easier to read a couple pages and then pick up again later. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, again, like my snobby attitude aside, I don't think that comic books are a lesser form of art. Um, I do think 
it takes a great deal of skill to write and, and to illustrate comic books and that you can have really gripping stories. It's clear that you can have gripping stories because there are storylines that people still talk about years after the comic came out and whether for good or ill, right? Whether or not people look back on that and say, wow, that was really a turning point or gosh, it really went downhill because of this. But you know, it, you can't really have those discussions unless the the actual material has an impact in the first place. And clearly it does. I mean, the fact that every other movie yeah. that comes out now is, is somehow related to comic books tells you that it has that impact. It's just that, again, I was just never like the, the collector type, but I, I, I could appreciate it, but it just, I guess it was one of those things where I, I wanted to save my, um, allowance money for other stuff. I mean, it's funny, like the way I even got started with Howard the duck is because, uh, I was at a science fiction convention. They had a lip sync competition, which I entered with my dad and we did a lip sync routine to a song by Ray Stevens. And we won first place, which was a, like a hundred dollar gift certificate to a local comic book shop. And this was not in the city that we lived in. So I was like, well, I guess we're going tomorrow because <laughs> we leave at the end of the day. So we need to go and do this. And, and I didn't know what to buy. I, so the comic book shop, they had like some computer games. Like it was the old, old days of computer games where you would find them in things like hobby stores. So I bought a few computer games that were mostly garbage. And then I still had money. So I was like, oh, I guess I, guess I'll get some comics. And I found Howard the duck and I started picking those out. And the guy was like, Oh man, I put those in the wrong bin. Those are supposed to be, you know, you know, $5 or something like they were in the normal, like 75 cents or whatever. I said, Oh, well that's okay. You can charge the, he's like, no, no, no. You found them in that one. I'll charge you that. I'm like, no, I'm trying to get rid of money. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You're the, you're the best customer. Uh, You know, I I hope this this doesn't uh, diminish our geek cred with our listeners. Um, I am really interested for everybody who listens to this episode to pop in Discord or email us or whatever your favorite. Uh, and this isn't me wrapping up because I do want to ask you about one more thing, not comic related, Jonathan. Sure. We end. But uh, I am really interested for any listeners out there to tell us what comics you like, you know, and if if they aren't all the ones that you do like. So if they are Marvel or DC regular material, that's great. But if they're different or something new or unique, that's super awesome too, because you know, I, I love adding things to my list for when I eventually do read. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I think there might be a couple of other like, like independent comics that I read over time. Like I want to say I had the max for a while, and some other stuff mm-hmm. that's along those lines. But I really, I really dig the whole under underground comic book scene too, because obviously like you have the, the big gatekeeper companies of like Marvel and DC, but there's a lot more that's out there too. Yeah. There's some comic that's like the, the lumberjanes, which I think is a, like a, a more indie sort of a comic uh, about girls at a scout camp that fight supernatural creatures. Um, and it's kind of very literary based from my understanding that like is high on my list to read. So, um, okay. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about was Meow Wolf, if you want to share. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I did in Las Vegas before I came down with COVID and I will not go into how I feel about that, um, is I went to the Meow Wolf installation Omega Mart in Las Vegas. And Ariel, you've done this one too, right? Yes, it's the only uh, Meow Wolf installation I've done, which is why I keep calling it Meow Wolf instead of Omega Mart. It's because my brain, it's interchangeable. It's the only one I've done. Yeah. (laughs) So Meow Wolf is an artist collective. If you're not familiar with them, you should totally look them up because they do some really creative, funky stuff. uh, And they've, done a lot of work in immersive art where you as a participant become uh, part of the whole art experience. And uh, so the Omega Mart experience in Las Vegas is presented as the front end is an odd and very odd uh, little grocery store. And if you start looking at any of the products, you're like, wow, these things are weird. It is a wackadoodle grocery store selling all sorts of strange products. And if you pay attention, you'll see like there are TVs inside the grocery store that are running uh, video loops. And some of them are uh, a little like almost like Lovecraftian in how strange they are. Mm -hmm. And um, if you explore, you can discover that there are various pathways that lead you to the back of the store. Some of them lead you into an employees only kind of area, like in a break room and stuff. Um, other areas will uh, be like a, a set up like a little desert community. And there's one that's set up like a, a big factory floor and offices connected to the factory. And you start to uncover a weird, uh, somewhat supernatural mystery that is related to the family that runs the grocery store that owns like this chain of grocery stores. And there's all sorts of components to it. Like there's a mystical power. There's a child who appears to have been at least, uh, partly the, the product of this mystical power interacting with a woman and making her pregnant. There's the fact that that woman has an incredibly ambitious desire to lead the company. (laughs) Like to the point where she comes Mm -hmm. across as like a, almost like a cartoonish villain in some of the parts. Um, But the story is told through all these different disparate elements throughout the entirety of the installation and you get out of it what you put into it. So you got to spend a whole lot of time thumbing through documents and Mm -hmm. watching little video clips and reading emails and even unlocking files. Yeah. You can get to a point where you're actually able to access folders and files that previously have been locked away from you, but you have to actually Mm -hmm. go through the whole process to, to get to that point. And, uh, this is, this is both good and bad. It's good in that it's incredibly engrossing and it's really interesting. It's bad Mm -hmm. for two reasons. One, it takes a very long time to go through if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Like, cause you're exploring, you, you don't, yeah. you don't know to go, Oh, I need to go here to do this one thing. And then that's going to progress me further in the story. Yeah. And, and related to that is if it's busy, the, the other part of the problem is that if it's busy, then you have a, you can feel pressure to have to move on so that someone else can at least get some of the experience of doing whatever it was you were doing at that moment. 
which means you're not going to get all the information you need to move the story forward. Yeah, yeah. They do. Um, I read into the issue and it wasn't super busy when I went because I, I went in 2021 because I was there. Uh, my husband was traveling for work and I went with him and we were all masked and all and vaccinated and all that. But um, it wasn't very busy, thankfully, at the time. Um, but we still had to wait because there were certain things that were like very popular and just took a while to go through and everybody wanted to do them. Did you get to the part where there were a bunch of mailboxes with letters in them? Yes. Okay. Because there was one letter. I took a picture of it because I was like, this person has got to write to welcome for Night Vale, got to write for welcome to Night Vale. Um, when they were talking about undermallers. I don't know that I saw I, that one, that, but I, I, I know we did go through like a lot of letters in those mailboxes, but I don't remember undermallers. Okay. I want to read it. Cause you'll abuse if, if you're worried about meow wolf spoilers tune out for like the next 75 seconds. Um, it says, Dear Dwellers, at approximately midnight on March 3rd, a group of young people who called themselves Undermallers descended on our peaceful village to commit an illegal act of graffiti on our treasured town library. Phrases such as, we love books, and the library is a treasured community asset were crudely scrawled onto the side of the building in garish neon spray paint. Please join us this Saturday for a cleanup day. Maria's Burrito Explosion will be providing breakfast. And please remember, the library is a dot 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 treasured community asset, so please consider donating to our fund drive and help us keep keep our building clean and free from the whims of young people. That is just straight out of a Night Vale episode. <laughs> yeah, no, it does sound a lot like uh, Night Vale's approach, especially to libraries, which are very dangerous places in the world of Night Vale. <laughs> we might've actually have seen that. I don't remember. I didn't remember the undermallers um, term, but I, I do remember because I want to say that that was written by, uh, a, a woman character in the story who has like two or three letters and she comes across as an, a very, very much a busybody who is uh, yes. kind of enforcing her will on other members of the community. Yes. Yes. Uh, they will, they do have people there. So this is a lot of fun and they've got one in like Arizona and one in Colorado, one in Grapevine, Texas. Um, I keep hoping for one in Atlanta where Jonathan and I are. Um, but if you go, if you happen to find yourself at one of these installations, know that there are uh, employees and workers there who, if you ask them for help, they will give you hints. Because Tony and I walked around for like an hour and weren't sure what to do. And then as soon as we asked somebody, they gave us a hint and we were able to follow. But um, you kind of go in without any instructions. Uh, and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just exploring the grocery store part is pretty amusing, but I mean, that's like the very tip of the iceberg as far as the content of the, the uh, installation goes. And uh, there are also different tiers of, of uh, participation as well. Like you can add on uh, like an employee identification card, which lets you interact with some of the, the screens and stuff uh, in a way that tracks your progress as you go through. So it's not like you're having oh. to perform as a guest every single time, but it is an add on. I, I thought everybody got those. Not when I went, when I went, if you, if you got the basic ticket entry, I think they had changed it not that long ago, actually. But if you get the basic ticket, it does not include the, uh, the company card. Um, but I got the VIP tickets so that we would, cause the basic tickets have 
a specific time tied to it. You need to be there at that time in order to get entry into the, the installation. I got VIP, which didn't, Mm -hmm. uh, you had to designate what day, but you could go at any time during the day. So I did that and that came with the corporate card thing, but yeah, no, they changed that. I want to say earlier this year where it's an add on now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's what lets you like when you interact with a, uh, computer terminal, it, it will like, you can, you can actually essentially save your progress and, uh, you can even do things like save files to your little profile, which means that you could watch them elsewhere. You don't have to just sit at the terminal, which is very helpful if you want to make sure you're freeing the space up for someone else to use. Mm-hmm. Um, it is super neat. Like there's very, like it's a very weird, very night veil slash Lovecraft in its, in its tone. Like something is, you can tell immediately that things are off just from the, the grocery store part. But the further yeah. you get in, the more you're like, wow, something's really messed up. It's got like extraterrestrial elements to it. And, um, but the joy of discovery is a big, big part of the appeal yeah. of the experience. So if you're someone who like, there's some elements of escape room in it, although there's, you can leave at any time. So it's not really an escape room, but there's some elements of that. If you're into those kind of things and, you know, sort of discovering through exploration and, and experimentation, it's totally something to try. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say like, um, there were a lot of, well, not a lot because it wasn't crowded, but there were kids there when I went because I think the experience is very well built. There are a couple of things that I was like, oh, this would be scary if a kid saw it, but not much. A lot of it, like if you're a kid, you're going to run around playing with the music stuff and going down slides and, and touching walls. And if you're an adult, then you might follow the story. So it's I, I feel like it's got a wide age range that can appreciate it, too. Maybe not as wide now, because at least when we were there, the uh, slides were all blocked off. Oh no, that's the saddest. Yeah, we, uh, we, you could, I you could totally, went. I mean, they were all still there, but you, they did, you couldn't access them. And so I was like, wow, um, I wonder what happened. Sad. Maybe, maybe somebody vomited in one and they needed to clean it up. Uh, I don't know. Uh, did you, did ah. you do anything else in the area 15 complex besides the Omega Mart? Um, we walked around, there was like a fun game store. Uh, with like a Zoltan kind of a thing in it. Uh, we looked at the cool art. There's a bunch of really cool sculptures outside and took pictures of that. I didn't do like the Burley show. I didn't do the movie experiences there. Um, mm. And I didn't eat there, but wandered around and enjoyed it. It's it's a really interesting area for sure. We just ducked into the Omega Mart gift st- store and did a couple of, we did some shopping for some, like souvenirs for friends and coworkers and that kind of thing. And then uh, I was fading because, you know, Las Vegas is in the Pacific time zone and we're in the Eastern time zone. And I was trying not to get too uh, adapted to Pacific time. And it was starting to get not, not late there, but certainly late <laughs> by Eastern time standards. And I was like, I need to go back and lay down. So we did not explore very much. Gotcha. Um, I, yeah, I, when I was there, you just would actually pull stuff off of the shelves in the Omega Mart. Like not everything Mm -hmm. was for sale, but a lot of it was. Yeah. They, they, same thing was true when we were there. Like you could buy, like if you wanted to get a box of cereal that had a very weird name on it, you could totally do that. 
but um, does but, not contain spiders. <laughs> right. Right. I can't remember all the names of all the different uh, products. I took tons of pictures of them and there were lots of funny ones, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah, I, I loved the, the experience, but yeah, the, the gift shop is more of your standard stuff like t-shirts and, and hats and that kind of thing, as opposed to gotcha. the products that you encounter in the grocery store, which you can actually buy if you really, if you want to um, like a, the, one of the, one of the products I, I just pulled it up on my phone is it looks like a big bottle of laundry detergent and the, the brand name is plausible deniability. Yeah. There's something about like, there was the spider cereal, which I hated. There was something about, I can't, it was like, I can't believe it's not butter cleaning spray that yes. Or something, something to that effect. It wasn't quite that. Um, and junk drawer cereal and personalized bleach. You could not buy the personalized bleach. Um, sadly, cause that's what I would have wanted. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, and thank you guys for listening to me talk about Jonathan or talk with Jonathan about Omega Mark. Cause I wanted to hear about his experience and I hadn't had a chance to chat with him yet. So you guys just got to enjoy it with me. Um, <laughs> that is all the time we have for today. That's all we've got on our list to talk about. I think Jonathan, am I right? Yeah. Cool. We do have other topics that, uh, that you guys have suggested, but I think they will be a longer conversation that we can get into in future episodes while we wait for the SAG after strike to resolve. Um, But in the meantime, yes, please write us. We love hearing from you. Uh, How Jonathan, how can they, it's been a while. I almost forgot. How can they do that? Well, the way you do it is you will go out to the desert and you'll take off your shoes and you'll walk as far as you can before the sand start to burn at your feet. You will sink to your knees. Your head will bow. You will see droplets of sweat fall before your eyes, hissing against the sand and almost immediately evaporating. And when you turn your eyes upward again, you'll see in front of you a mysterious convenience store that has materialized out of the wastes of the desert. You will go inside, and as you walk down the aisle, you will see to your left a row of cleaning spray called Who Told You This Was Butter? And you will look behind them, and as you clear the bottles, you'll see my disembodied head, and I'll ask you what your question is. That is exceptionally frightening, Jonathan. Please don't lose your head. Uh, You're not one of... Oh, jeez. Oh, wait, what? Oh, no. It looks like it was attached to your body. You're giving me, like, some severe uh, Wizard of Oz sequel vibes. I'm losing my mind a little bit. If you uh, are also frightened to insanity by Jonathan losing his head, you can contact us other ways. That is Twitter, we're LNC underscore podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Discord, we're a Large Nerdron Collider. Our website is www.largenerdroncollider.com where I do post these episodes. Um, but we don't have a lot of show notes right now. Um, but you, there, you can join the Discord from our website. Also, if you want to email us, we're largenerdronpod at gmail.com. I have a Blue Sky account now. Um, but I still need to set one up for a large Nerdron Collider when I can for anybody who's there. Um, and yeah, that's it. So until next time. 
I have been Jonathan. Just call me Princess Mombi Strickland. Great. I love it. And I am Ariel. Who, where, what, when, and why Caston? <laughs> the Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced, edited, published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com.